What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Thursday to you. Got a fun one on tap for you today. This is by popular demand. A lot of people in Twitter Tuesday asked me to go out and say, all right, Joe, you were the general manager of the Buffalo Bills. You got to make the picks. What would you have done differently than Brandon Bean? Would you pick all the same players? Would you make different choices? And that's what I'm going to do here on this podcast today. However, I am not going to do this alone. I have brought Bruce Nolan. You guys know him from the Nick and Nolan Show. You can follow him on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. He does some work over at the Buffalo Rumblings written as well. So, Bruce, welcome, and uh, thanks for joining me for this concept. Thanks for having me, man. This is going to be a lot of fun, and it'll be even more fun checking this result out three years from now and seeing how we did versus how Brandon Bean did. Yes, and we know for a fact that people are going to – they probably put a, 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 a an alert in their phone already to follow back up in uh, May of 2023 or whatever, or maybe even sooner, on uh, comparing these draft classes. So we're not doing this because – Bruce and I said, let's get together. Let's show these people how much smarter than we are than Brandon Bean. This was literally, I goes asked this by five different people. And I'm like, okay, that's fun. I like this idea. And let me take Bruce down with me. Yeah. You know what? If you have to burn at this point at the hands of the masses for not agreeing with the pick that Brandon Bean made, or maybe having a different opinion, you might as well take somebody else down with you. You know, you'll have somebody to party with while you're both uh, on fire. And you mentioned in our discussions leading up to the show, we don't know what each other is going to pick, but you said we do have the superpower of foresight or of, of hindsight here, right? Where we can, we actually can see the, the whole body of work. We know who uh, is not going to be on the board or is going to be on the board. Uh, so we have a benefit there to Brandon Bean. So we have to give ourselves uh, that little asterisk and side note as we work through this. Before we do though, Bruce, I know that you uh, on the Nick and Nolan show have discussed this Bill's draft class. You did a great segment with Pat Moran earlier in the week on the Talking Buffalo podcast. So I'm not asking for a big, long monologue here on on the Bills draft class, but when you look at this this body of work that Brandon Bean assembled here, how does it make you feel? What is your general reaction to this draft class? I feel fine. There aren't a lot of picks in this draft that are going to make me feel the way I felt about the Ed Oliver pick, which in my opinion was just the absolute perfect congruence of talent and need and scheme fit. It was just, I mean, it was the perfect draft pick. I got done talking about it last year on the Nick and Nolan show. And I said, I don't understand how you can't give it an A. Like I cannot, I can't fathom you not thinking it's a good pick. There's a lot of picks in this draft and none of them make me feel the way that the Ed Oliver pick did, but also none of them make me feel like what was Brandon Bean doing? Like I cannot see a path. I cannot see the logical reason or the process that would have led you to that pick. And so because of that, my overall interpretation, the way I feel about this draft is I feel fine. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty fair reaction to it. I, I mean, I've talked about this show for probably or these this draft class a lot in this show, but I think people would probably gather a similar thought for me that I get it. You know, these picks, I, I see the course, I see the logic and that's that's good. And it's hard to really just be in love with a draft class when you don't have an actual first round pick. And, and the Bills did have a first round pick. They use it on Stefan Diggs. But when you look at the actual draft hall and you don't see that shiny first round pick that you feel like is going to be an absolute difference maker for your organization, you probably feel fine. And, and that's that's to be expected. Let me ask you this, though, before we really get into what we would have done, let's assume 
the Bills never traded for Stefan Diggs. And the Bills are on the clock at number 22. Which player would you have hoped the Bills draft in that spot? Given the fact that Jalen Rager was off the board and you had the needs lining up to a spot where if you wanted a receiver, the only reasonable probable pick at that spot was probably Justin Jefferson, maybe Brandon Ayuk, depending on what a, what kind of a fan that you were. I think Brandon Ayuk is a much better fit in San Francisco's offense mm-hmm. than he would have been in ours. So for me, I would pass on the receiver at 22. I would have taken Jeff Gladney. That's who I would have taken. I think he was a first round pick all the way. He was my CB3. I had him higher than Noah Ibnogany by a, a decent margin. I think he fits this. He fits our defense the same reason why Mike Zimmer loves him, and that's he plays with a physical style. He is okay coming downhill and tackling. He's not afraid to get a little chippy with you. He has good awareness in zone. I think he's a well-rounded, versatile corner. I think the overall national media would be very similar on that pick that they were on the Tre'Davious White pick, which was okay. I remember when Tredavious White was picked, they were like, okay, well, we're not sure he's going to be a superstar, but we feel good and solid about this pick. Now, he turns out to be a superstar, but I think that would have been the same vibe that the national media would have given the Jeff Gladney pick. I would have been a lot more excited about it because it would have been close to that congruence that I talked about earlier with the Ed Oliver pick as far as talent, fit, filling needs, scheme fit, things like that. I would have taken Jeff Gladney. It's interesting you say that. That was my reaction to the Trey White pick. I said, you know what? They hit a solid double here. I think Trey White's going to be a solid starter. They didn't have any answers at corner, and they got another first-round pick next year on top of that pick. I was I was totally satisfied with it, but I think you're right in terms of, of reaction. I think that's a good parallel to draw. All right, so let's now get into the Bills did trade for Stephon Diggs. They don't have pick 22. Their first pick is at 54. Brandon Bean selected A.J. Epinesa the defensive end from Iowa. What pick would Bruce Nolan have made? I would have picked Christian Fulton. Uh, I think that both AJ Epinesa and Christian Fulton were would have been excellent values there. I think that DE and CB2 are both a need for this team. You and I have talked ad nauseum about CB2 situation yeah. on this team, but I think it's important to go a little bit further as to why is it that that is a need? Okay, so... DE was a need, so we want to get edge rusher, but specifically it was a need because we didn't have enough young bodies, and the young bodies we did have were late round, undrafted. We didn't have promising youth at that position. Well, that's a kind of a sub need when you talk about edge rusher. When you talk about cornerback, there may come a time halfway through this year where we don't feel good about CB2 at all because EJ Gaines may be hurt. Levi Wallace is continuing on his normal trajectory, which is he's proven to be a reasonable starter as long as he's not up against any sort of dynamic wide receiver on the other side. And maybe Norman didn't recapture it. I can imagine very reasonably a scenario when we're six years into six games into this year and we're going crap. Oh no, we need to see 2 That's a different level of need in my opinion than we need to inject some youth into this. So even though I think both of those are appropriate value, I think the need is greater at corner than it was at edge rusher. In addition, Christian Fulton operating opposite Tredavious White and overlapping his rookie contract with Tredavious White's massive extension that's coming is exceptionally good economics. On top of that, Christian Fulton can play an off-man, he can play in press, he can play in zone. You don't have to do specific things to hide him the way you might if you had a lesser athlete there. 
for example, Levi Wallace or Josh Norman. So that opens up the rest of your defense. Christian Fulton would have been my pick at 54. You know, you and I talked beforehand, which ones were we going to have the same? I knew we would have this the same. My pick would have been Christian Fulton as well. Uh, like you said, we've discussed the need at cornerback two a ton here. And so given the priority of needs in my view and given what I thought of Christian Fulton, this guy was number 14 on my board, the number 14 rated player on the board. If he's there at 54, that's the guy I'm taking. And I'm looking at my draft board and there's nobody else that is even close that would have been on on the board at the same time. So I see a major need at cornerback. I see my number one player, or obviously my number one player on the board at the time, my uh, CB3 in the class, a first-round grade. Yeah, that's the guy I'm picking at number 54, which begs the question, why? What, what, what do you think it is about Fulton that, I mean, he would wind up being like the ninth cornerback drafted. He goes in the second round of the Titans. Why do you think it is that teams didn't value him quite like you and I did? Is it because he had the sub-31-inch arms? Is it something that has to do with the the weird start to his career uh, at um, at LSU where he missed time due to the the suspension for the uh, the drug tests that were uh, tampered with? I mean, what do you think it is that pushed him down so far? I really it isn't think the tape. Yeah, I really think it's a suspension, and I think that a lot of things in this draft class were as a result of a failure of confirmation, whether that's medical or whether that's character or whether that's background, if you don't have the same access to confirm those things, you're less likely to take a risk. So in the same way that we saw Bryce Hall fall because you're unable to get the confirmation on the ankle the way that you wanted it to, I think that that confirmation absence is really another one of those things that would cause Christian Fulton to fall. So in my opinion, I don't know how you can look at the tape and think he's not a first-round quality player. Now, yes, okay, the the shorter arms, maybe, and there may be teams that have certain thresholds. We've heard this from scouts before, that there are teams who have specific thresholds. If they're not this, we're not going to take them, period. Whether that's height, whether that's arm length, they just believe in specific athletic and size prototypes. So yes, that could be part of it. I am inclined to opine that it's probably an unable an inability to confirm some of the stuff about Fulton's background. Yeah. His testing was good. I mean, he ran a good 40 time, four, four, six, six, nine, four in the three cone, a sub one, six, 10 yard split. I mean, a good athlete, a better athlete than Trey white. Let's be honest. Right. And they took him. So, um, all right. So obviously the bills don't see corner the same way we do as has been evidenced by this entire off season. All right, so we've got them taking Christian Fulton each. The Bills took A.J. Epinesa. That brings us to pick 86. The Buffalo Bills selected Zach Moss with this pick, running back from Utah. I'll go first this time, Bruce. I would have selected Zach Moss, running back from Utah. This is one of the ones here that I am not going to deviate from from what Brandon Bean accomplished here, and I raved about this pick after it was made in the the podcast following. I talked about it even uh, yesterday when I talked about winners and losers uh, from the the Bills veterans, and I talked about TJ Yeldon and how he was a loser, and I talked about it on Twitter Tuesday. So you guys know what I think about this Zach Moss pick. I think he's the perfect complement to Devin Singletary. He gives you the downhill presence you're looking for, and you don't have to take him off the field on passing downs because he can pass, block, and catch the football. So I think he's the ideal back. I love the idea of the economics of having them both on rookie deals for the next three years, and while you're building up the rest of your roster, while you're giving out big extensions to players at premium positions, you've got two third-round rookies in your backfield for the next three years. You have good players at a position where it's not a good idea to pay players, but you want to have good players. I think it's a perfect scenario. So for me, me and Brandon Bean are eye-to-eye here on pick 86 with Zach Moss. So this podcast might get super boring real fast because I also took Zach Moss. 
in my response. In fact, I did this exercise multiple times last night because I wasn't quite sure if we were going to be okay with duplicates or not. And every single time I did it, I took Zach Moss. (laughs) So this is one of those picks where I just don't understand how you could not like it as far as need. Okay. The upgrade from Zach Moss the upgrade from TJ Yeldon to Zach Moss for those 150 to 200 touches is very notable. In addition to that, it Zach Moss is kind of the end of a specific tier. I mentioned this on a previous mm-hmm. discussion about this, but I really think as you start to get past Zach Moss in the running back class, you start to dip into specialization there. You start to get people who aren't as well-rounded, who don't necessarily either have the vision, the contact balance, and have the receiving skills. You start to get into the Anthony McFarlands of the world. Right, You start to get into the James Robinsons of the world. You get into characters, the A.J. Dillons, even though he was taken in the second round blasphemously by the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> you start to get into specialists, which we've talked about not wanting to have as far as not wanting to have a, someone who could only do one thing there in the running back backfield when you swap out for Devin Singletary. But after Zach Moss, that cupboard's looking a little bit more bare. Yes, you can take a swing on Michael P. Ryan, who I think is a well-rounded running back later on, but it, it starts to get a little bit bare. I think that the drop-off after Zach Moss was fairly notable, and we know that Brandon Bean cares about this kind of stuff because he specifically talked about it when he moved up for our tight end, Dawson Knox, last year in the third round. He said, you know, I, I didn't feel good about the drop-off after that. I moved up and got him. So that stuff does matter to GM. So it's not surprising it would matter to me. But I think that if you pass on Zach Moss at 86, you don't get nearly the quality of player if you try to get a running back later. And I didn't feel super great about the other options there. For me, it's Zach Moss. Yeah, so they're all three of us. This will be the only time I'm sure that all three of us agree on the pick. So um, I will predict though, the rest of the way you and I will not have any picks in common. So, uh, I'm excited to see how that, um, uh, that, that folds out because you, you thought maybe there could be some here coming up. I don't think so, but if you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food. That's why I love using Postmates, but I kind of love them even more right now because I can get food delivered without even leaving the house or opening the door. Given what's going on in the world, they created non-contact deliveries. So now when I order from local restaurants, everything gets left right outside my door. They also have Postmates Pickup, which I've been using to order takeout from my favorite local restaurants. Listen up. You guys need to be supporting your neighborhood spots right now. I've only been ordering local because it's a great way to support my community. And Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make my life easier by picking up everything I need from Walgreens and 7-Eleven and dropping it off right outside my door. Just download just download Postmates on Apple or Android, find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit on your first 7 days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDONNFL. That's code LOCKEDONNFL for $100 of free delivery credit for your first 7 days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. All right, Bruce, at at pick 128, Brandon Bean selected Gabriel Davis, a wide receiver from UCF. It's your turn to go first on your selection. I took a Meek Robertson, cornerback, Louisiana Tech. He nudged out Bryce Hall a little bit, even though I had them graded very, very similarly, mostly because I, I don't have the ability to confirm 
with Bryce Hall's ankle, like we talked about. And that kind of pushes me a little bit on that side. In addition, I think Amit can play in the slot. So he, I don't think he has to play in the slot, but I think he gives you that ability. If you have Christian Fulton and Amik Robertson across from Tredavious White and Tredavious White's on a mega contract, and you have Amik Robertson and Christian Fulton as your second and nickel corners, you feel as good about that room as you and I currently do about the running back room. We have that same feeling that, oh my gosh, this is a really good corner class. We have a really good corner group for the next four years, assuming Tredavious White gets his extension. We feel really, really, really good about that. Amik Robertson is absolutely the type of player that I would feel comfortable competing with Taron Johnson because very low key, we haven't really talked about Taron Johnson this offseason, but he had kind of a disappointing sophomore season. He didn't tackle well, and he wasn't as good in coverage as I think he was the previous year. I think in addition to his availability concerns with the shoulder injury and things like that, I think that's not a position you can just say, oh, we're good there. We're good at nickel. We have Saran Neal. Saran Neal is a specialist nickel. You don't want him playing all players in the nickel. You want him playing against some players in the nickel. If they go big slot, you can bring in Saran Neal. But if you bring in someone like someone like Cole Beasley, for example, if he's on the other side, I don't want Saran Neal. I want somebody else. And I would feel comfortable with Amik Robertson in that role. In addition to that, I think his physicality being able to blitz and tackle from that position, I think would lend him well, especially in this particular defense where that stuff is valued. I would have taken Amik Robertson there. He slightly edges out Bryce Hall, even though the grades are very close, because I don't have the ability to make any confirmation on Bryce Hall's ankle. I uh, love the pick of Amik Robertson. That wouldn't have made me disappointed at all. And I think the Gabe Davis pick was a good one. However, I also would have picked a different player. And my guy is Cameron Clark, the offensive lineman from Charlotte. Bruce, I fell in love when I watched the Clemson tape. I'm watching this guy just put Clemson defensive linemen on their back all game long. Man, these guys just were not expecting this level of power, this type of an edge, this type of will to put people on their backs while their families are in the stands. As a matter of fact, this is, I, I kid you not, this is a true story. I, I did a, um, a tweet thread uh, when I was watching that tape. I put like eight tapes or eight plays of, of Cameron Clark just putting Clemson defenders on their back. And um, uh, I have a relationship with uh, one of the Clemson defensive linemen. He sent me a text message while I was going through this. He said, Cameron Clark was the best offensive lineman I went up against all season long. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, I love him. And I think he's the perfect replacement for John Feliciano after this year. Um, you know, you, the Bills are going to start having to get a little bit more selective with who stays and who goes uh, because of the big dollar contracts that are coming. And John Feliciano, the right guard, is a player who uh, his contract's up. And, you know, let's say he plays well this year. He's going to be in the Quinton Spain range when it comes to contracts. And I think that's an opportunity to get a more economic player at a player position like right guard. And so you have the same thing with Spencer Long, where he's got another club option that you have to deal with. To me, this was the perfect guy you bring in now and you, you, get him ready to be the starter in 2021. So uh, that was like the last guy on the offensive line that I felt was a clear path to being uh, a potential starter by year two. And uh, man, I just, when you see, when you see a guy from Charlotte, just dismantling Clemson defensive linemen, uh, I had a lot of fun. And then obviously he destroyed, uh, you know, the, uh, the AAC or whether a conference USA competition as well. So Cameron Clark, my pick, the offensive lineman from Charlotte at 128. Let me tell you one other thing about Cameron Clark. He was voted the team MVP in 2017 on offense. 
When does that happen? An offensive lineman as your team MVP? They had an NFL running back in Benny LeMay in the mix. And uh, he was your team MVP. And then, of course, a two-time team captain. So the leadership is there as well. So there you go. Cam Clark for me at 128. All right, 167. The Bills picked Jake Fromm, quarterback from Georgia. I would not have picked Jake Fromm, quarterback from Georgia. Bruce, I would have picked wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones from Michigan. This was one of my favorite, uh, I guess, next tier of receiver type players. Um, Five-star recruit, all-everything type guy. Obviously, the the production wasn't there at Michigan like anyone would have hoped, and you can blame him for that or you can blame the quarterback, but you know, there's a pretty strong message there that other receivers were able to produce with Shea Patterson and the Wilson Spates of the world that Michigan's had throwing the football at Michigan. Uh, but the reality is I, when I watched him play, I saw the reason this guy was a five-star recruit. He's got size. He's got burst. He's good after the catch. I think he's got better route running credit than maybe you think. Ball skills are there, the alpha mentality. I thought, you know, look, in, in a situation where I have foresight, where I can see what happens, uh, not that I was down on the Gabe Davis pick. I think it's a good fit for the Bills offense. But knowing that I can get DPJ with the next pick and get my offensive lineman there at 128 and uh, Cam Clark, DPJ would have been the receiver I would have went with, with obviously the benefits of, of knowing what was going to happen in the future. Your pick, Bruce. My pick was Bradley and I, defensive end, Utah. I'm not comfortable with Bradley and I at 22. I was not comfortable with him at 54. But if you tell me I can get him in the fifth, sure, yeah, yeah okay, now we'll talk. Bradley and I clearly has some physical limica- limitations. I think that you compared him to John Simon when you did your draft report on him. But if I wanted to still inject youth, I mentioned that the need at defensive end is specifically for youth. It's not a need because we don't have enough rosterable bodies. It's a need because we don't have any youth there. And if you want me to inject someone, if you want someone who struggles with some of those physical limitations who ended up being really successful, look at someone like Elvis Doomerville, right? Now, I obviously understand that's an incredibly high bar for Bradley and I, but it's not incredibly uncommon. It's just fairly uncommon when you see people like that who struggle with the length, who don't necessarily have the elite burst and bend that you need to be able to get around the outside, still to have success in the NFL as a pass rusher. And if you can tell me I can get someone who's been that productive in the Pac-12 and in the fifth round, okay, now we'll talk. I think I've checked that need. Now, that doesn't mean I put be completely out of the realm of possibility for that being a a need in the 2021 draft by all means, but I have a first round pick in the 2021 draft. So if I have a first round pick there and we know that edge rushers later in the draft don't have a tendency to work out, I have the ability to get a higher level of talent while still checking the box for, Hey, I'd like to get a little bit of youth in there. And I can do that with Bradley and I. Yeah. I think a high floor player there in a nigh that, I think he'll be rosterable for a while. Uh, good pick. All right, so at 188, Brandon Bean selected kicker Tyler Bass from Georgia Southern, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, would you have taken Tyler Bass at 188, Bruce? I would not have taken Tyler Bass at 188. I would have <laughs> taken a different specialist, actually. I would have taken the best specialist in the draft, and that's Braden Mann, punter for Texas A&M. I think Braden Mann, the, the gap between Braden Mann and Michael Turk for me is really, really significant, like much more significant than the difference between Tyler Bass and the other kickers in this draft class. In addition, there was I think there was going to be some undrafted free agent kickers that I would have felt comfortable coming in and competing with Stephen Hauschka. However, 
the punter gap, in my opinion, is very, 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 very significant. And I'm not a Kari Vedvik guy. So because of that, if I have the ability to spend the 188th picker in the draft and upgrade a starter for potentially the next 15 years, you do that. You do that every time. Because one of the keys to late round picks is how can I find a way to make this stick? How can I make this not something that I'm just setting fire to this draft card, right? And I'm just blowing it off into the wind. How can I make this stick? One of the ways you can do that is by spending it on a specialist where you clearly have an opportunity to upgrade. Braden Man has a huge leg, but it's the control. It's not about having a huge leg. You know who else has a huge leg? Corey Bohorquez. He's got a huge <laughs> leg too, but he can't control it. Braden Man's punting highlights are sometimes not safe for work. It is really impressive, the control that someone like that has with a leg that big. And if I can spend that pick and potentially have a, I would say, a reasonable probability of saying, yep, good, I got my punter. We're not going to have to deal with that for another decade. I think that's an easy way to make the 188th pick in the draft stick. He had uh, 10 solo tackles over the last two years as well, which is, I love that. So he's going to make open field tackles as well as your kickoff specialist and your punter. Um, I told, told myself that I wouldn't do this, that I wouldn't pick Braden Mann here, and that I was going to affirm the selection of Tyler Bass because I get it. I, I get it just as much as you pounded the table for Braden Mann there, and I'm totally comfortable with that direction. I'm also comfortable with bringing in Bass as well because, let's face it, the last two years, Steven Hauschka has made less than 80% of his field goals, and he doesn't have the distance. So we've talked about punters a ton in the show, you and I together, and obviously we both agree with the need and upgrade for a punter. I also think that there is a sneaky need for an upgrade at kicker. And the fact that Brandon Bean made this pick indicates to me that there's some level of concern about Steven Hauschka. And it's something that where the organization feels like they've been pretty uh, affirmative in their belief in him, but this pick, right, actions and words when you compare the two things, indicates that there's a little bit of concern. And it's one of those things, even if you go back to Brandon Bean's interview with, uh, is it pardon my take, he talked about, you know, they talked about hypothetical kicker situations and he wanted the guy with some distance. And he wanted a guy that could score, you know, when, when you're far out. And I think when you talk about a Bills offense that needs to score more points, having Steven Hauschka as your kicker because he can't hit from distance limits your ability to score points. So it's a flip of the coin here for me between mass and or mass bass and man, but uh, I want it to be different here. So I'll go with bass. You'll go with man and we'll be satisfied with Brandon Bean investing pick 188 on a specialist. The next pick 207 Brandon Bean selected. Why can't I not? Re- oh, Isaiah Hodgins wide receiver from Oregon state. Uh, I am up first on this one. I would not have picked Isaiah Hodgins. I would have picked Raymond Calais, the Louisiana running back. And you you said something there when you were talking about Braden Mann about why you would what you're looking for in later picks, right? A six round pick. How do you make them stick? How do you make them worthwhile? Well, to me, Raymond Calais can do that for you in a number of ways. First of all, he's got great speed four four two speed, one five six in the ten yard split. I mean, this guy's explosive. Ten foot broad jump. Um, and you 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 look at his production as a runner, seven point eight yards per carry across two hundred and thirty six carries for his career. So he gives you a speed dynamic out of the backfield. That's one thing that I'll say about Moss and Singletary: great vision, great contact balance, 
not a lot of juice, right? And so uh, this gives you a running back that while he is a specialist, he does give you uh, a speed dynamic from the backfield that doesn't exist. But that's not the only reason why I like Raymond Calais. This guy is also an experienced kick returner. Uh, he was an all-Sun Belt uh, kick returner uh, in 2019. He has two kick return touchdowns in his career. And he is experienced as a gunner on punt team. So I have a, a ready-made gunner, kick returner, and speed back with pick 207. And that's the type of value that I'm looking for in a late-round pick. And for you, Bruce, 207, Brandon Bean again, Isaiah Hodgins. Your pick was? Isaiah Hodgins, actually. Oh, wow. I really like Isaiah Hodgins here. And one of the reasons is because I think that he gives you something that you do not have elsewhere on the roster, which is the ability for a big slot. And I think that when you talk about Duke Williams, I don't think that quite gives you what you want there. And flexing Dawson Knox out doesn't quite give you what you want. But we have a good slot receiver in Cole Beasley. But I can envision a role where Isaiah Hodgins is effective in specific personnel groupings against specific defenses. And Isaiah Hodgins, one of his big knocks is what is he going to do against release? You know, how is he going to release against press in the NFL on the outside? Well, if I can use him as sort of my David Nelson-ish big slot receiver, then I don't have to worry about that right away while he develops the hand fighting techniques and the release footwork necessary to be able to escape from press on the boundary. But I can still take advantage of ridiculous hands and surprisingly good route running for someone who's that tall. I think there's a use for him. And so I actually really like the Isaiah Hodgins pick. I would have been comfortable with him earlier on day three. And if you tell me that I can have him at pick 207 and potentially add a dynamic to my offense that I don't think I really have right now, I'm going to do it. I love that comp. I haven't thought of that. David Nelson to Isaiah Hodgins, very, very similar type players and how they win. Um, and you hadn't picked a receiver to this point either. So I think that makes a lot of sense for you to stay uh, stay on with, with Brandon Bean with that pick. Okay, so you're up first. This is the last pick, number 239 overall. Brandon Bean invested this pick on Dane Jackson, a cornerback from Pitt. What would you have done, Bruce? As much as I would love to take a third corner, I don't think I would escape out of the draft <laughs> room unscathed if that was the case. I'm taking Anthony Gordon, quarterback, Washington State. I do want someone to come in and compete. And you and I have talked about Anthony Gordon before, him inviting a little bit of chaos, although we really love his his upper body throwing mechanics. <laughs> I'm okay with a backup seventh round pick who invites a little bit of chaos. And one of the reasons is, is I talked about this with Nick when we talked about how you evaluate backup quarterbacks. And for some reason, it seems like when we have someone who's really smart and doesn't have a great arm, we go, well, he profiles as a backup. And I don't quite understand that because what I want from a backup is I want Ryan Fitzpatrick. I want a crazy, aggressive, high variance quarterback in my backup because when you are going to have that level of drop off from your starter to your backup, your probability of losing the game straight up goes up which means I need outliers to win the game now. I need people who can make plays with their legs, or I need people who are a little bit YOLO, which is what Anthony Gordon is. Right? You say invite chaos, I say YOLO. So I think that there's a place for, if you're going to keep three quarterbacks, which I think might be the only way Jake Fromm makes the roster, if you're going to keep three quarterbacks, I'd like to keep somebody who's a little bit more aggressive and has the upper body mechanics I really like, and I think has the thresholdable, I'm using that word again, thresholdable 
accuracy necessary to be a quarterback. Let's let him compete with Matt Barkley. And we can still say, okay, let's take a swing at this thing late in the draft. I don't, uh, I don't mind that pick at all. Um, I was never against taking a quarterback. I've, I've said that the Bills should take a quarterback on day three. Their names were uh, James Morgan or Tyler Huntley. It wasn't, it wasn't Jake Fromm. <laughs> Um, okay, so my pick at 239 to tie a ribbon on this is John Garvin, the defensive end from Miami. Um, I would have picked him 100 spots sooner than this. So you tell me a player I would have taken in the 125 range is available at 239 at defensive end. I am quite happy. And yes, I did use my superpowers here to know that I could make this pick while foregoing other edge rushers <laughs> throughout the course of the draft. Uh, so Garvin's a player I like a ton. He was like my, my guy, the mid-round guy that I liked. Uh, 6'4", 263, 34-inch arms. He's only 20, 20 years old. He turns, doesn't turn 21 until July 28th. And, I mean, he's been productive at Miami. He's got, uh, you know, 12 and a half sacks and, and 29 tackles for loss over the last two seasons there, four, four forced fumbles. This is a guy that makes plays, and I love his flexibility and juice off the edge. Um, has really good length and extension skills. He's just raw, right? He's got to get better. He's got to become a quicker processor. He's got to deploy things faster. But – his traits, his physical upside is really, really exciting to me, and I think a perfect fit for the defense. So obviously when I get the chance to look back on things and, and realize I can get an edge rusher there, I'm going to do it in this exercise. So Brandon Bean had it differently than we did individually. Brandon Bean had it, Epinesa Moss, Gabe Davis, Jake Fromm, Tyler Bass, Isaiah Hodgins, Dane Jackson. I had it Christian Fulton, Zach Moss, Cameron Clark, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Tyler Bass, Raymond Calais, John Garvin, you had it, Christian Fulton, Zach Moss, Amik Roberts in a corner, Brad Anai, the defensive end from Utah, uh, Braden Mann, Isaiah Hodgins, and then your last pick was uh, Anthony Gordon from Washington State, the quarterback. So among the, the three of us, we do have three picks in common. So that's that's fun. But obviously, we, we have some different courses here. So this will be fun to reflect on. Uh, as we as we get further away from this draft and see who uh, had the best haul, but Bruce, any thoughts on what I put together here? I, I reacted to your picks. I'm curious if you had any any uh, responses to what I was able to do here. I love the Jonathan Garvin pick. I almost took I almost took it myself because I said, you know, if you would have told me before the draft that I can spend a seventh on Garvin, I probably wouldn't have spent you know, a fourth, fifth, or sixth on an edge rusher knowing I could wait. And so I love the Jonathan Garvin pick. Cameron Clark, I think, is a similar mindset behind the pick as there is to Zach Moss, which is that he might be your last bastion of, I feel good about this offensive lineman probably being a starter. At, at that point, you're slipping into the, okay, maybe they're a starter. You start to slip into the Ben Bredesens of the world, right? You have to slip into the, okay, maybe they can start. And so after Cameron Clark, there's kind of a drop off there. So I understand that pick. I like it a lot. Um, the the Cameron Clark pick is I, I, I always struggle with whether or not I put him at tackle or guard. I really do um, because I thought maybe maybe there was something there at tackle, but then I like him better at guard. But then I thought the same thing about Cody Ford. So I went back and <laughs> forth on Cameron Clark a bunch of different times, but I really, really like the Cameron Clark pick. And I think the interesting thing is that all three of us took Zach Moss. I think that is the really interesting thing. I, I think that, um, and the Nick and Nolan show that is dropping today, I ranked all the picks and Zach Moss was my favorite pick. Spoiler alert. If you haven't listened to it yet, but Zach Moss was my favorite pick. And I think the three of us all picking that explains why, which is, it's just a nice congruence. It's, it's kind of a, an intersection of need 
and skill, complementary factors, traits, the value, the fact that there's a, a kind of a, a tiering and he is the back half of the back half of that tier, but I mean the last piece of that tier. I think that objectively looking at this, you think, okay, Zach Moss is, is a good solid pick. There's hard press to complain too much about that. But then when you go back and you go through and you go, gosh, I don't think there's anybody I'd rather have at 86 than Zach Moss. That just really speaks highly to how good of a pick that was. And you and I were on board with running back at 54. Um, but when you know you can get Zach Moss at 86, go ahead and do whatever you want at 54. <laughs> to me, that's what opens things up. What what level of concern do you have about the lack of juice in this backfield? I mean, the fact that literally they're not going to win any foot races to the perimeter. Is that something that concerns you at all? And you can kind of really load up the box and, and live with the idea of the Bills attacking off the edges? Or that why is that why it's so important in your mind for an as Isaiah McKenzie type player to really force uh, force defenders to respect the outside run. I think the left and right motion that comes from your jet action, you know, if you get some, if you can get somebody bigger than Isaiah McKenzie to do it, maybe you get some convoy motion, right? Where you can end up using that person as an extra blocker to outflank the defense. I, I'd like to see somebody who has, this is behind the LaVisca Chenault concept was behind yeah. this. If I can take Isaiah McKenzie and I can upgrade it with a bigger, stronger, faster player, it doesn't just limit me to just that one play off the jet motion. Now I can do other things. You know, I can maybe do some screen work off the jet motion. Like you said, you could do some convoy motion there. So I think that that's valuable in this offense. I actually do. I would prefer to have a burner there. However, the times in which a 30 yard run could become a 70 yarder, if you had the appropriate juice just happens so infrequently that it's a big explosive play and it can win you a game and that's great. But from a probability standpoint, I'd much rather have somebody who can take a three yard run and make it eight than a 30 yard run and take it 60. And so I'd like to have those traits. Obviously more traits is better than less traits, right? But it, I'm not super concerned, especially, especially because we have some players now who can be dynamic in different roles. We have people like Stefan Diggs now. We're probably going to still have Isaiah McKenzie. Josh Allen as a runner gets us a lot of those big runs, not because he's faster than the two players, but because you have the numbers on your side from a blocking standpoint to be able to get you those long runs. So I'm not super concerned about it. I would like to have it, but if that means I don't get to have Zach Moss and I have to have Anthony McFarlane instead, then I'll pass. Yeah, got to be able to run the ball out of 11 personnel too, right? That's going to be another yeah. dynamic too, not having a ton of speed uh, when it comes to the backfield. Bruce, killer segment. As usual, I do appreciate you jumping on with me. Make sure you guys are following Bruce. You can catch him on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And of course, the Nick and Nolan Show, part of the Buffalo Rumblings podcast feed. Make sure that you hit subscribe on it and don't miss any of the outstanding podcasts uh, on that network, and especially the Nick and Nolan show, uh, you can find it on whatever podcast medium you listen to Locked On Bills on. So that is going to do it Do it for us today. I'm sure uh, I'll be bugging Bruce again here pretty soon to come on and, and talk Buffalo Bills football again with me at some point this offseason, maybe a few times, maybe three or four times. Who knows? It'll be fun, though. Make sure you don't miss anything happening here. Hit that subscribe button, rate, review, and share the podcast, and I'll be back again for you tomorrow.